Hey guys, uh, so before we get into this episode, this episode is coming out a bit earlier than we originally wanted it to. It was originally going to come out next Tuesday, but because this book is set in Alabama, and it has just gone down that Doug Jones won Senate special election in Alabama. We thought that it would be better to wait until the results came in and then release it immediately after so that the discussion would be really relevant. So I'm going to get into the episode now. Enjoy. you thought this through your face is funny okay that's just mean i'm beautiful and young hi and welcome to we've lost the plot <laughs> episode three i'm devin and i'm caroline and this week we read to kill a mockingbird by harper lee and it was so good it was really good so overall thoughts Caro? O- do you want to like thoughts? yeah to kill a mockingbird to read it is the equivalent of drinking sweet tea on a porch. I, yeah, I texted you and said that I want to read this book on like a tropical resort over the course of like a month. I didn't want it on a tropical resort. I was thinking more like a porch on like an antebellum house. Like a veranda. Like in, like in Georgia. Yeah, that's, I think that's because you're from the South and I am not. And from and the so South. And so we have different viewpoints and on this. We do. So anyway, so my overall thoughts on the book are that it's also very good, and it feels like something that you're supposed to, like, spend a summer with, you know? You're supposed to date it, and no. you're supposed to go on long nope. drives with I'm gonna this I'm going to stop book, you right there. <laughs> you're supposed to kiss I'm going to cut this. <laughs> what? <laughs> this intro went off the rails. Let's get into our first segment, the one-minute recap. Oh, oh, nuts. I forgot about that. I didn't forget about it, and I'm still going to be terrible. So um, I've gone first the last two times, so now you're going to go. I guess I have to go first. Yes. You ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. So I don't super remember what order this book goes in because it is told by a child, which means that her thoughts are not very linear, and neither is the book. But it begins with the story of Scout who is six years old and lives in a tiny town in Alabama. And she lives there with her father, Atticus, and her brother, Jem, and her best friend, Dill, who sometimes shows up. And because it's a small town, it has a lot of small town lore, including Boo Radley, the mysterious man who lives next door. And uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of characters, including like her teacher, Miss Caroline, who I like because that's my name. And then you have... Um, real like racist folks and then you have kind of uh, some old ladies who sit on their porch and yell and it's awesome and it's a sin to kill a mockingbird that's the title it, that's what it's about and um, there's a dog and he gets shot and uh, uh, there's uh, Atticus is You're a done. lawyer oh. <laughs> get wrecked I'm about okay. to own you are you ready for this uh, yeah okay that's just, it's completely false confidence but I'm going to try <laughs> Okay. All right, coming down. Uh, three, two, one, 
Go. So, To Kill a Mockingbird is written by Harper Lee. It is told from the perspective of Scout Finch, who is a child and therefore is not very good at recollecting events, much like me. So, in that vein, I will just tell you the events of the book uh, without any linear order. Uh, Boo Radley is a scary man um, who lives next to the Finches. Um, The Finches are Atticus, Lawyer Man, Jem, Big Boy, and Scout, Little Lady. And also there's Dill, who's also very fun and sweet. And you have a dog who gets shot. You have Calpurnia, who brings the kids to her church. You have Tom Robinson's case, with which Atticus presides over, but he loses because of racism. Because the um, there were people that, like, they packed the jury, basically. And um, Atticus was threatened multiple times. And then afterwards... Um, some other stuff happens, like Miss Maudie's house burns down, and it's super sad, and I love Miss Maudie, and I'm going to take the rest of this time to talk about Miss Maudie, okay, because time. she's so sweet. Time, you can't see. <laughs> I owned it. That was so me. <laughs> you definitely owned up to, uh, you admitted it a lot better than I did, that I forgot some of the parts, some of them. Um, this is just a sidebar, but my aunt's best friend in college was Harper Lee. Which is just about how southern uh, my family is. All right, so just mark down the time. I think uh, we all had bets on when that story was going to come up. So uh, if you guess this timestamp, then you're correct. I just want everyone to know that they both went to school at the University of Alabama, and they were best friends. Yeah, she studied law there, right? What? Oh, my aunt? No, no. My, oh, Harper Lee. I don't know what Harper Lee did. My aunt was the first woman to go through the Bama Engineering School. That's pretty neato. Okay, we have yep. to get into now I'm done real bragging. discussion. Because, Caro, we have our first guest. We do? We do. It's my sister, Brianna Wright. She's going to be in the latter half of this episode, but... For the next I've never spoken minutes. to Brie, but and I think that she'll be very fun. Yes, we have not recorded her interview yet, but we will, and that'll be very exciting. But until then, we should, you know, get down to business. Yes, the plot and the story. Yes. So, so why don't so. we go through a quick rundown? God, this is a long book. It's also a very good book, and I do think it's that a- you should read it if you haven't. It's, it's a book so good that schools in Mississippi that are defending the student's right to read it when it was threatened. They said that it's just very important to education and culture. Yeah, so South. actually, the first let's talk about that. This book is like pretty old, but it is still one of the most... It won the Pulitzer Prize in 1961. Yeah, but it's recently been challenged in schools, and parents have tried to ban it because it makes them uncomfortable, which is kind of the point of the book. <laughs> It's kind of the point. I, 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 no one 100% knows Harper Lee's true intentions with writing the book. She talked a lot about her own childhood experiences and was just trying to be honest. It's not like an autobiography, but she was just being honest, and it kind of ended up being this very poignant novel uh, celebrating, I guess, anti-racism in the South. And it, recently it has uh, been challenged for making people uncomfortable especially with current politics but i think that there are other reasons to challenge the book if you want to but people aren't doing it correctly right now or they're not doing it for like a very valid reason so like while the book does uh, talk about a a lawyer who specifically defends black people in like very racist alabama there is this kind of a white savior feel about atticus finch that has been kind of scorned in the past few years because the African-Americans in the novel are very flat 
and kind of static in comparison to the white characters who are kind of heroes the whole time. So if you can use it as a, a, a like a form to fight racism, but you can also uh, see it promoting kind of a quieter racism. Yes, it is definitely, it is progressive compared to racist people in Alabama at the time that this book was published. Yes. But now with more nuanced viewpoints on racism and specifically racism in character definitely has some flaws. It was definitely written in 1961 in Alabama. Like that is definitely, like you can feel that in the book. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, the most fleshed out, the most fleshed out characters um, that isn't white is Calpurnia. Yes. And even so, she doesn't really undergo any growth. Right. But I think neither does Atticus. I think I think if we want to jump into one of my big things about this book, which is like parents and adults in literature. Yes. In this book, all of the adults are pretty static. Even Miss Maudie, who's as I said, house burns down. I don't know why you like Miss Maudie so much. I'm gonna be real. I never liked her. I just think I I think she's really like she's so unyieldingly sweet to these kids and she is one of the like very level headed people in the town. Guess so. She's kind of a voice of wisdom and of and and again a, a source of stability for Scout and Jem in their lives growing up and so this book is really like in its purest form a coming of age novel it doesn't have a central story there are many different stories right scout never... is just telling us about a few years in her life and yeah, by the I never end i realized how many like strings are in the like how many like stories are going on at once because of course you have the tom robinson trial and then you have like the overarching idea of like who's boo radley yeah, and they're uh, never, like, that, like, like, the point of the novel is not to spin this entire web and then pull it together in some amazing, perfect ending. Scout yeah. is just telling some stories about her life, and it's yeah. it's meandering in a really charming way, in a, a way that I don't think a lot of modern media would even dare to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I love Scout. My dad went to college with a girl named Scout. I wish that was my name. <laughs> well, maybe in the next <laughs> life. I actually I considered it before I went to college. <laughs> I was dork. like, "What?" I was like, "What if I told everyone my name was Scout? They would have no proof against me." Caro, that is one thousand percent not getting edited out of this podcast. <laughs> I am one thousand percent holding your feet to the fire on this. I'm you so will be wrung out. <laughs> I so just, I just thought it'd be a cool nickname. <laughs> back to my point. Parents. I have a lot of To Kill a Mockingbird stories, so this will be the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> so the the parents in Mockingbird serve as a kind of rock that we that we're on this journey with Scout and Jem and Dill, but we don't like we're hearing about the parents' stories. Obviously, we hear about Atticus from other characters, but really we have the same view of him or of Calpurnia or of miss maudie that the children do yeah i there's definitely like a parts where like uh, where scout is shocked by her father's actions and you are equally shocked because you don't know anything about him like the part where he shoots a dog like atticus finch has like God, these that's big, the coolest he has like these big old glasses and he's a peacemaker and then he tell like he takes out a dog in one shot which is like a horrifying thing but he did it to bring the dog to peace and then also like shock his children he didn't mean to shock them but he yeah did. he didn't yeah it what was, was his, name? his name's like one shot finch like that was his nickname or something yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's right and he uh, he was doing it because it was a mad dog it was somebody right. who was a danger but somebody 
(laughs) (laughs) But it really, I think you had talked about Scout as being like the perfect unreliable narrator. She's the perfect unreliable narrator. She has the biggest excuse in the world, which is she's a child. She's just right. And I think I think this (laughs) is something that today I, I don't think we see a lot in our art, which is like full unabashed points of view that don't have qualms about not being accurate when they're telling a story. So I just think that when it's done in this, it's just really cool. I just love unreliable narrators. If you're like, Caroline, what's your favorite trope? It would be an unreliable narrator. That's hands down. Nice. We learned something about Caro today. Please tell us another another story. story. When I was in seventh grade my best friend and he lives in new orleans like one of my best friends i guess devin's my best friend but my best friend when i was a kid or whatever Damn um, right <laughs> uh he lives in new orleans and so it's like louisiana so the tail of mockingbirds are big deal there so his school did a play version of it and <laughs> my friend was boo radley but the only way he would <laughs> he, the only way he would ever pronounce the name was boo radley and so i'd be like raymond who <laughs> who are you playing in your school show and he was like boo radley and like that's still a thing like whenever we see each other we'll be like boo radley so okay (laughs) (laughs) i i think this is a good time to bring up one of the main conceits about reading this book for this podcast specifically is uh, to kill a mockingbird was something we had to read um i think i read it in freshman year i was talking to some friends from my high school they now read it during eighth grade yeah i read it in eighth grade and (laughs) They, I stole like, the book from my teacher. It's it, it's <laughs> Sorry, definitely something we need to read, but... <laughs> Yeah, she's listening and she knows. Um, I'm so sorry. And for me and for other people who have, you know, grown up not in the South, it's really, it's just a lovely story. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a gateway into this very foreign community to us. And it's, I know you're going to laugh at me. (laughs) The outsiders. But no, it's, it's, it's a very cool look into a very different culture, a very different way of life than how we grew up. But for you, you grew up in Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana, and then moved to Texas. Hurricane Katrina, baby. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> you know that vibe? It's like Hurricane Tortilla. Or, you know, like Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, Katrina, more like Hurricane Tortilla. More like Hurricane Tortilla. I hate that vine more than anything in the whole That's world. That's so weird, because I love that vine more than anything else in the world. <laughs> I can make Hurricane Katrina jokes. No one else can. That's, anyways... You have in our notes, how did this book guide Southern children? And I think you can talk to that oh, in the time yeah. it came out. And also now, like, because I think okay. you have so many stories about to come out. Like, talk about it. Okay, I think I've run through my most interesting stories about To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I will say that this book is the only book I've ever seen captivate an audience. Like, an audience of 13-year-olds. Because it's genuinely, like, that good and that realistic in our life like everyone kind of knows an Atticus Finch like this kind of guy who roots for the underdogs and there's something about having a classic southern story so integrated into the American education system that's like just so nice because I think that I think that we read a whole bunch of books that are set in like the midwest or like the northeast and like this is just like the best book you read in middle school is also is the one set in the south it's definitely 
Magnolia. A plus. I'm gonna well, say it's the best book you read in middle school. Name a better one. I think Flowers for Algernon is pretty good. Oh my god. Um, I have a story about Flowers for Algernon. Well, you know, let's wait until episode whatever <laughs> when we read it. I'll tell my story then. It's a good one. Yeah, I, I think we read... Anyway, I, now I'm just getting, like, all proud. And I'm like, yeah. this book is the one in the South. <laughs> But I think that's really interesting. It definitely like informed an entire generation of Southern children. It did. I, it definitely did. Like, um, it's probably like region wide the favorite book read by everyone. I know it's like my mom's. Is favorite it? Book. Is that true for like? Yeah. So that's really interesting. Can you talk a bit about like the difference between like your age people reading it and like older people reading it do you think there's a difference in attitude to. i think that at least for my mom and my dad my dad is from tennessee and my mom's from mississippi it's very formative they can both recall moments from the story very quickly which like i can't but they can like i like i told you my dad went to college with a girl named scout her brother's name was atticus like <laughs> That's such a cool family. But, like, I'm trying to, like, word this. This book was so important to their generation. It kind of solidified... I mean, they're both, like, post-civil rights movement. So it kind of solidified this, like, anti-racism idea in the South and, like, made it look very positive. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. I, okay. I think there are definitely people who would be like, yeah, but what about the fact that they still do blank? But I think it's a... Like, the South it, it has speaks... its problems, but it's definitely fixing it. And I do think that the... I think the pride around To Kill a Mockingbird definitely comes from it. And even the fact that, like, it's named after, like, an old Southern, like, saying. Like, everyone knows it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. That's really funny. I've never, <laughs> never My heard that. My mom says it all the time. My that's... grandma used to say it. That's really weird to me. Like, to me, I'm like, oh, this is just a nice thing that Harper Lee came up with. No, it's not. It's not hers. It's definitely oh, okay. something that we say. So, like we said before, Caro grew up in the South, and I grew up in the Northeast, and... Because uh, Devin's a Well, okay. No. Are you going to bleep me out? Maybe. Say it again. See see if I do. Devin's a Oh, well, okay. <laughs> oh, oh. Anyway, I grew up in the Northeast and Kara grew up in the South, but our, our guest today is my sister who grew up in the Northeast with me, but ended up spending most of her adult life so far living in the South between Virginia, Mississippi, and Alabama. So I'm excited to talk to her a bit about how this story and being kind of a, a Southern migrator, a dirty carpetbagger, how it affected her. I hate Yankees. I hate that my best friend's a Yankee. Anyway. It it's so difficult, you guys. So <laughs> I want to talk real quick before we go over to talking with Brianna. Should we talk more about what the book is about? Because I feel like we haven't quite gone over everything. We haven't really talked about the trial, and I think that we should. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> the so the central conceit, most people would say, of To Kill a Mockingbird is the trial that happens near the middle of the book. Atticus is appointed to defend Tom Robinson, who is charged with sexually assaulting Myella Ewell. And Tom Robinson is a black man, and the Ewells are a notorious white family who lives in squalor, basically in the dump. And Yeah, there is... Uh, for context, there's always been a lot of tension between black people and poor whites in the South because they both feel like they're very discriminated against. Well, and we um, saw that in, in this past election. So, yes, definitely. There's a lot to be said about them. And I, it's 
come to my realization that this is kind of based off of a thing. Hold on. Yeah, so like uh, Harper Lee talked about how this wasn't an autobiography, but it is based off some kind of true things that happened, like uh, like her like friends and stuff like that, and like a lot of uh, her dad was a lawyer, but she says that she's kind of based off of, based this trial off of the Scottsboro trials from the 30s, okay. where two poor white women uh, accused nine black men of rape. So that's like the context, like it is kind of answering a thing that actually happened like it's a response so this trial based off the scottsboro trial it is it is set up as a trial that nobody would have wanted and that the entire town of maycomb begins to look down on atticus for taking the case and planning to actually defend tom robinson and scout has uh, questions because she gets in a fight with a boy who gets mad at her dad and calls him a name that we will not repeat on this podcast but that she doesn't even really know what it means, but the way he said it makes her beat him up. I'm gonna be real. That is, like, the most true-to-life Southern thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, starting fights over, like, your parents, you know? That well, is, and, like... And specifically, like, bad talking... We're hurt, like, like repeating what you heard your parents say and right. then getting a fight over Caro, it. Like, I don't think that that's a Southern thing. I know, but, like, like the context. I don't, like, I know that's not a Southern thing, but it's, like, the actual argument they're having. Like, my mom has stories like that. They're yeah, very that, so much that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, and I think Scout goes to Atticus with questions about why he's doing it, and he has a very simple kind of mantra about his defense. And uh, later we find out that the judge probably gave Atticus this case for a reason and that he kind of expected this to kind of to happen the way it did but that Atticus mm-hmm. would have the best chance of getting Tom free Tom ends up being seen as guilty by a jury of all white men and when he gets sent to jail and Atticus plans to appeal but Tom is shot way too many times while trying to climb the fence to escape yeah like 30 times like it's complete overkill it's awful it's a very like jarring moment in the book this is a very obvious way that we can link it to today in the past few years of insane amounts of police officers killing unarmed black men and this is unfair to a lot of people Right, and the racism in the justice system. Yeah, and trials, it's, like we've seen trials with all white juries go extremely south. And yes, it's and it's tr- like horrible. tragic that this is such an old story to a lot of us in but many it's ways. Still but so that, relevant. Right, kind of the central, the, the main story a lot of people would say is still so relatable today. Right. It's a story that you wish you couldn't keep like relating to yes, current exactly. politics. Yes, exactly. Because it seems, it feels so old. This is set in the 30s. Right. What do you mean it's still happening in 2000, almost 18? What? Yeah, and also I, I think a lot of us know people who remind us of the Yules and in in their vitriolic racism and right. complete misunderstanding of anything else. So yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a rough, those are, those are really rough points when, and that's kind of the, the point when scouts own narration and the reader's interpretation pulls apart right um which i think creates these very beautiful moments um as an adult reading it of like scout does not understand what's happening but we do i yeah i completely agree it's like oh, it's like it's so like sad i don't know like when you, you can see her trying to keep along with what's happening but she can't 
but like she can't quite understand like the trial in front of her and like she's working so hard right and, and she's even... like sympathize like she's like she knows who's right and who's wrong but she doesn't know why she knows who's right and who's wrong well, and, and, like... and Jem has the same thing where Jem knows a bit more about the law and about how Atticus more. works like, and right exactly to Scout he seems to like a genius his little sister like, yeah so Jem Jem to Scout seems like a genius and is like rattling off things about the law during the trial and you have this around 12 year old boy who knows how the law is supposed to work a bit better than Scout and when he sees it not done and kind of mentally makes a link to the fact that it's related to race he kind of shuts up for the for a large part of the rest of the book yeah so we don't really get to see what's happening in his brain but we all kind of know that he is like having a real personal reckoning with the thing that he has always apparently wanted to do with his life because they make people adults poke at him about wanting to be a lawyer right um, it's like it's, the like you can like it's his first eyes at, or his first glimpse at the injustices of the justice system. And right. It's kind. Of, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and Atticus like, has think, a thing that the that this result. The only people that will cry at this result are children. Yeah. And I just yeah, like I, I think this is the. I mean, we've only read three books, but I think that this is the first book that has changed completely from the time I read it as a kid, and yeah. that. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this podcast because I probably wouldn't have gone back and read To Kill a Mockingbird, but because I did, like, this is, it, it, like, really hit me. It hit me, like, as much as, like, Between the World and Me, you know? Like, it's, 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 it's a very shocking book, but it's, it's so good. I'm gonna bring up the mood for a split second and tell you that when my eighth grade class read this, the trial scene, uh, we had people doing different parts to make it more visual and people i remember were screaming when we got to the part where tom robinson was pronounced guilty yeah well, everyone was so invested name another book Devin. there's well, not another book where you're gonna get 12 year olds as invested yeah so uh, the we're next book we're gonna Jeb. read is hamlet <laughs> we're, yeah Especially in, like, 8th grade. That's around... I mean, 8th graders are 13. The book we're reading for the episode after this one is Hamlet. And, like, my class acted out Hamlet, but it wasn't... Oh, we did that. It wasn't the same. Like, no. Romeo and Juliet, we got pretty invested in, but that's just We got because... real... This is We got real invested in The Merchant of Venice. <laughs> that's surprising. I'm, like... That gives me a bit of hope. Anyway, okay. So we've gone through uh, most of the novel in terms of the major events... You have Dill coming and the kids discover the knot in the tree, which Boo Radley has hidden things in, and then his father cements the hole in, and you have a moment when all three of them are trying to get a note to Boo Radley, and a different time you have... Yeah, I guess we should talk about just Boo Radley and the significance of him. Yeah, Boo Radley's dad shoots a shotgun in the air to scare off uh, somebody that he thinks is trespassing, but it's actually just... The kids screwing around. Oh, Caro has just put into the Google Doc. The first thing she put was Dill's sexuality, which is because he's based off of Truman Capote, which I had looked up. (laughs) But I think Caro just just kind of realized like that I might not know, so she just put in all caps Truman Capote and made it red. Um, I just. Like, that was mostly for me, because I, like, I remember my teacher in eighth grade, shout out to Miss Nolan, she was talking about Dill, 
and she was talking about how Dill was based off a gay man, and then she went blah blah blah. But like I wasn't listening anymore because I yeah. didn't care. And I've been like for the past like five years, I've been trying to remember who it is, and I just like googled it. Like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> So uh, Dill's, Dill's based off Truman Capote, which who is Harper Lee's best friend, which is like a very crazy thing to me. That's that's adorable. Like it is. He moved from New Orleans. He moved from New Orleans to Monroeville, Alabama, and he became best friends with Harper Lee. That's crazy. And then Harper Lee became best friends with my aunt, my great aunt. Wow. Big shout out to Carolyn. You're like three degrees away from Truman Capote. I I'm and two from Harper Lee, but she's she's dead now. Yeah. That is, you know, she's Rest dead. Rest in peace, Harper. Um, but, but anyway, so. <laughs> um, I think the the kind of overarching story of Boo Radley, and I guess this is kind of the most, oh, the ends get tied up thing in the book, is that from the beginning, we have Scout being young and her gem and Dill trying to, like, coax Boo Radley out and just kind of bothering the poor guy. And let, at the let end... Let Boo Radley stay inside. And at the end, Bradley saves Jem from Jem and Scout from being killed by while, um, Mr. While, Yule. Uh, while Scout's wearing a fabulous ham a costume. Fantastic ham costume. She looks but so good. We should not let that take away from the weight of the fact that Mr. Yule wanted to murder by a racist who was mad about. Uh, the fact that he won a lawsuit. Yeah, because during the trial, Atticus kind of made him look so right. bad. And, and said, for, said what everybody reference. already knew, which is the fact that he is the one who violated Mayella. Yeah, yeah. it was made so, very apparent, but, apparent, uh, but racism. Okay, so we, really need to, <laughs> we really need to wrap up. Assault. Um, so Boo Radley saves uh, both of them, and so the, the kind of mystery of who Boo Radley is is solved quote unquote but scout has really grown to see him as a real person before she even sees him so it's a really nice um kind of marker of how much scout has grown the mystery of boo radley results in boo radley just being a guy yeah and and scout kind of knew that already like it's it's a really nice payoff of like we see boo radley and we're like wait wait what and scout's kind of like yeah i just saw boo radley and we're like yeah, that's crazy. Like, because for her it's been multiple years, but for us it's only been three hundred pages. We're like, this is still pretty, <laughs> still pretty intrigued. Um, but it's just a very nice moment. Um, I, we do have to um, end discussion there because we are definitely over our time. Um, when we come back, we will be talking to Brianna Wright, my sister, and after that, we'll do a little outro thing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever guest segment of We've Lost the Plot. Today, we're still reading To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, and we have Brianna Wright, my sister, who is a sociologist specializing in gender and sexuality and youth. Uh, She studied in Mississippi, and she's currently living in Alabama. Hi, Brie. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. So you read the book along with us which is very kind of you <laughs> right yeah um, mostly read it with you probably after you yeah probably. i mean it's hard to read a book after us i probably read it after podcast. we did this too. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. so i'm just gonna like what were your overall thoughts on the book yeah so i think 
I like took a little Facebook survey that wasn't really a survey at all. I just tried to figure out when we read To Kill a Mockingbird, like in high school. And it seemed that it was like 10th grade. And I don't remember it at all. I think on like every single survey I have made since 10th grade, I have written, oh, To Kill a Mockingbird is one of my favorite books. And I did not remember it at all. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I I was really confused reading it at first because I just really had no recollection of it. And I thought it was really cool going back and reading it. Now there's just so much in it. Yes. Yeah, we mentioned this in our in our part of the podcast about like how different it is reading it as an adult. I think I read it in ninth grade and Carol read it in yes. eighth. It's a very early age to read a very heavy book. Well, and now um, one of my friends on Facebook was... Uh, English teacher in middle school and she says they're reading it in seventh grade now uh, so that's I, crazy I kind of like the model of like reading it younger I think it's a it's like yeah. one of the most important books I've ever read so I think that it's a very difficult book to read but it's so it's so good I think reading it now like because I was trying to figure out why I would have liked it so much as a kid and I think reading it now I liked it so much as a kid because it's written from a kid's perspective Right. of all of these heavy things and it's probably one of the only books that I read or probably one of the first books that school assigned me that I actually read that talked about heavy stuff and also was written by a kid and not written by a kid you know but comes from a kid's perspective yeah yeah we talked we probably spent most of our segment talking about Scout and how much I we just Scout. love her I in love general Scout so much I want to be her <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely I also loved, obviously, Cal, and I love Miss Maudie. Hey, yeah, yes. Devin talked Carol about Miss Maudie for a very. I like her, just not as much as I like Scout. I want to be yeah. Scout. I want to get to this whenever, but like, there's this Miss Maudie like whole monologue about religion that just like sealed the deal for me. Once I read that, I was like, nope, Miss Maudie's my oh, favorite. Oh, go ahead, one. talk no about it. Gonna change it. Okay. Well, so one of the main things that I was thinking about, because I'm like, what can I talk about? as to do like obviously I could talk about gender obviously I could talk about race obviously I could talk about sexual not really sexuality as much in this book but maybe a little bit but well definitely kids and sexuality with the whole Dylan uh scout (laughs) yeah we talked about yeah we talked about that last week and I couldn't remember who Dill was based off of and then uh Devin made fun of me it's Truman Capote yeah she put in all caps red letters Truman Capote Yeah, so the one thing that struck me, and Devin, do you want to talk a little bit about our unique perspectives, or did you already do that, like, in comparison to one another? Yeah, so kind of the the main thrust of our discussion beforehand was about how um, I grew up in the Northeast, and I still live in the Northeast, and Caro grew up in the South, and only recently moved up North, but you grew up in New York with me. Um, in a pretty rural part of it, and then you moved south and have lived there for most of your adult life. Um, so if you want to take some time to talk about how you think that might have changed your perception of the book. Right, yeah, absolutely. So I think the one thing that was like, is always really interesting to me is how much my personality changes as I move from place to place. I haven't really stayed in one place for very long since I graduated high school. And so when I moved from Buffalo, New York, down to Starkville, Mississippi, um, obviously there was a lot different, but I don't think there was as much of a difference as everyone assumed. I think 
people in the Northeast have very elitist perspectives about what the South is or what they think the South is. And yep. and that's, I was definitely guilty of it before I moved. And now it's something that I get really, really um, infuriated by. <laughs> I, I actually just finished my term paper on that very thing is like perceptions of the South and why they're wrong. <laughs> Right. And so like we were going to record last night, but we waited till tonight because of the election in Alabama last night and leading up to the election because, okay, so I lived in Starkville, Mississippi, then moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And now I live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a fantastic little blue dot in a state of what used to be red. That now is turning more blue. That's so nice to say. (laughs) And, um, so leading up to the election, I was like watching MSNBC every morning and I was so annoyed at all of these New Yorkers who were talking about what they thought Alabama was and what they thought all these backwoods rednecks were going to do about this vote and how... They were criticizing Doug Jones about not pandering to black folks who are coming out to um, vote and all this stuff. But I think what we saw last night was incredible, obviously. But also, I think the results from last night, I know the results from last night are completely because of black voter turnout. And in particular, black women voter turnout, which is really cool when you're reading about Cal in this book. And also... The amount of white evangelicals who voted still voted for Roy Moore, in particular, was white so embarrassing. Women evangelicals. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, and so that's something that this conversation right today that I'm seeing about from sociologists who I went to, like my colleagues who are in the South, who are talking about this right they're debating about whether white evangelical voters are kind of just a lost cause. Like for right now, instead of focusing on white evangelical women and being critical of them, we should actually just be focusing on black women and their voices and their impact because focusing on white evangelical women is just elevating white supremacy still. And so if we actually focus on black women and the amount of turnout and the amount of impact that they had in this election and use that to create change nationwide then that would be kind of a cool thing yeah i saw on on twitter last night i think one of the journalists i follow was talking about how black women specifically black evangelicals are still very much values voters and that for a lot of this election they they weren't thought about as part of that evangelical vote but they are and they still went for doug jones that the black woman electorate is a religious electorate in Alabama in a lot of ways, but is still going to vote on on their moral basis. And that's why they went for Doug Jones. Like, it's an interesting changing of the way we have these conversations about evangelical voters. Yeah. And so the one thing that I was thinking about that I was like, oh, cool. Like, I couldn't get it out of my head. Once I figured out that that was what I wanted to talk about, there was nothing else I was going to want to talk about but the juxtaposition between um miss maudie talking about church very very early page 49 of the book and then we see scout and we see scout and jem go to calpurnia's church later on and the whole like candid discussion about race that they have afterwards 
which is cool. But I thought maybe talking about race and church and religion and the South and how impactful that is would be cool on a day like today when we just saw such a cool thing. And then oh, definitely. we're also, as white people, so embarrassed by the fact that yes. white people still suck. It's really embarrassing. Every of... every election, I'm like, maybe white women will do it, for, like, they'll actually do it. And then they never do. They always let me down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, the 2016 Trump election was a huge slap in the face Oh my God. for white yeah. women. And then yeah. now we just are expecting it. So it wasn't like as much of a slap in the face yesterday, but it's still like, how have you not improved? You I mean, like the stakes it? were like, I mean, it was such a hor like they voted for such a horrible candidate, like a literal criminal. I mean, both of them are criminals, Trump and more, yeah. but this one was like yeah. so obvious. And I was like, really? But really? Did, I forget who said it. I don't remember if it was Calpurnia or who it was. Might have been Miss Maudie. Says it in the book that it must have been Calpurnia because she's the only one who like explicitly talks about whiteness. And she says something like, "Well, white women are gonna go. White women are gonna listen to their white husbands." Do you remember that? Yeah. Like they don't have a say about what. Basically, they believe that they have to listen to their white husbands, and so if they don't have a white husband telling them what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I had a thread going about that actually on Twitter a few weeks ago about the specifically within like feminist thought of like champion championing individualism allows a lot of conservative women to be like, well, I am individualistic. I have these contrarian conservative ideas which are in some way inherently misogynistic and it's also a way to cover up the fact that for a lot of these women they are dictated by the views of their husbands. And their fathers, too. Yes, absolutely. Which is also huge in uh, this book. Yeah, with uh, Mayella watching her father in the courtroom. Right. Stuff like that, yeah. And even Scout having this open-minded father, you know, and progressive father completely shapes the character that Scout is allowed to Uh be. Yeah, 100%. When Alexandria isn't around. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing, so when I moved to Mississippi and then again when I moved to Alabama, the one thing everyone asks you when you first move is, where do you go to church? Or it's, let me invite you to my church, right? And that's kind of like the (laughs) southern hospitable thing to do is (laughs) invite everyone to your church, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I have um, traversed many awkward relationships. conversations trying to be polite but also not committing myself to a church because I am a not a church going person so I just think it's really culture. interesting like how impactful I don't think you get how impactful church is and how impactful religion is especially in rural communities until you're there yeah yeah right? and like I know I went to church every Sunday until I moved here to Massachusetts and it was more just like a thing I did like it right. wasn't really like it was just like a part of my life was going because that's where like everyone was on Sundays so like you might as well go hang out with them it like right, it definitely exactly. dictates and, it right and when you live in a rural community as compared to living in super metropolitan areas like Massachusetts or New York that's one of your only places to make friends to have mentors to have conversations about what's going on in the world like yeah, and to have a community and a, and the intellectual conversations yeah yeah my youth minister wrote my college uh, recommendation letters yeah, uh, yeah. shout out to I MK think, I think <laughs> and in rural areas like especially like 
the Mississippi Delta, right, is what comes to uh-huh. mind for yes. me, is, like, your whole family goes there. Your whole family goes there. Everyone who you've known since you were born goes there. Everybody mm-hmm. who, everybody knows everybody, and everybody expects you to go to church, and if you don't go to church, then it looks poorly on well, your then family. The old, then the old ladies start to talk, and then right. <laughs> now, you're exactly. t- now your family's super embarrassed. <laughs> right. That happened to my friend exactly. last year. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I I mean, one of my best friends, she has to, like, she moved up to Ohio from Mississippi, and she has to travel home all the time for weddings in yeah, Mississippi Delta, so. because it's expected of her to be at every single wedding, yes. <laughs> even if she doesn't talk to that person, her mama speaks to the other person's yes. mama, and she better be there, <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah, my mom but has so a lot of stories like that, about going from Louisiana to Mississippi all the time for <laughs> <Yeah>. weddings. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think the discussion of like community and religion and how and and all of that coming together in the very insular, very in a way isolated community that is Maycomb, like I think viewing this book through that is so 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 interesting. Yeah, and I think um and this is like the quote that I wanted to kind of it's not really a quote, more of a passage. If you don't mind yeah. reading it really quickly. Oh, but please, it's... please do. That's yeah. that's always how we end our podcast. <laughs> You're so... No, I don't mean a quote quote. I have another page that I have a quote quote on. Oh, okay, good. That's like good. my like one-liner because I was ready for that. I didn't want to do the one-minute oh. thing, but I wanted to do the No, we... <laughs> You're lucky. I was thinking about it. You've been saved uh... this time. <laughs> so on 49... Um, this is like the big, the first real big conversation that you're paying to Miss Maudie, you know, when Scout and Miss Maudie yeah. are talking about their friendship right. and whatever else. Miss Maudie says, foot washers believe anything that's pleasure is a sin. Did you know some of them came out of the woods one Saturday and passed by this place and told me me and my flowers were going to hell? Scout says, your flowers too? Yes, ma'am. They'd burn right with me. They thought I spent too much time in God's outdoors and not enough time inside the house reading the Bible. And Scout goes on to say, My confidence in pulpit gospel lessened at the vision of Miss Maudie stewing forever in various Protestant hells. True enough, she had an acid tongue in her head, and she did not go about the neighborhood doing good as Miss Stephanie Crawford. But while no one with a grain of sense trusted Miss Stephanie, Jem and I had considerable faith in Miss Maudie. She had never told on us. She had never played cat and mouse with us. She was not at all interested in our private lives. She was our friend. How so reasonable a creature could live in the peril of everlasting torment was incomprehensible. And I just thought, so Calpurnia, I mean Calpurnia, Miss Maudie, who I always get the two messed up in my head because I don't really understand how Miss Maudie can be white in this book. Like, I don't want her to be white, but... um, I get that. (laughs) Like, I just don't, I don't like it. But in my head, she's not, so there. But she's talking about, you know, white Baptists who are judging her because she spends so much time outside with her flowers and she she doesn't live, you know, she's not married and she doesn't have kids and she lives on her own and all she does is worry about her flowers and all these people just think she should be inside reading the Bible, you know. And, oh, here you go. Oh, Miss Maudie says it. Thing is, foot washers think women are a sin by definition. They take the Bible literally, you know. And I'm pretty sure Miss Maudie's the one who goes on to say something about women listening to men. They think she does But just too. that impact of, like, I just thought she summed it up so perfectly. 
on what evangelical religion is in the South and how deeply ingrained it is in the South. No, she did it so, like, effectively and, like, so quickly. And, like, just, like, so, like, And snarkily. to a kid. I love her. <laughs> yeah, and it's so snarky, but it's also to a kid. Like, she's yeah. so... <laughs> and that's what Scout loves about her. She's like, well, Miss Maudie always tells me the truth. She treats me like a friend. She treats me like an equal, which I think is crazy that Harper Lee even, like got at that like when she was writing this book because this wasn't a time when kids were thought uh like obviously the time that the book is set in isn't a time when kids were treated as equals by any chance but i mean yeah copyright 1960 it's definitely not a time when kids were like this was a time when kids were viewed as property kids were viewed as only people who are eventually going to be adults yeah they were just like future, not little present. adults Right. Like, they had to wear scratchy outfits and, like, (laughs) scratchy outfits and not talk at a table and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to bring it mostly to a close here, but you have a quote for me? Yes, I do. This is Atticus on page 87. (laughs) Yes, Atticus. Simply because we were licked 100 years before we started is no reason for us to not try to win. Oh, that's so good. I think it is perfect for this time i think it and is too oh, yeah. that's such a good one keep on trying to win well thank you so much thank Bri. you thank this you. was so fun you were so smart <laughs> <laughs> this is such a if smart you would have told little seven-year-old brie that her and her brother would be on some big name podcast <laughs> one day who would have known <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you so much brie what up everyone that was super fun thanks for listening that was super fun it went well we figured out how to have a guest that was pretty (laughs) that's pretty exciting i really like brie that was the first time i ever talked to her she seems super cool (laughs) anyway if you guys enjoyed this episode of we've lost the plot be sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts we currently have a five-star rating we have a five-star rating keep it up yeah, we can keep it up. Please uh, rate us. It helps us to show up in searches However, and stuff. Shout, and up to, shout out to the one four-star rating because yeah, that's don't know what that's I would from. give this podcast. But um, thank you, thank you so much. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend. That's really the best way to get more people to listen. And be sure to like us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash losttheplotpod. And also follow us on Twitter at at lost the plot pod or just like search we've lost the plot in the little bar so next time you hear from us which will be january 2nd i think i have that right yes so one two we will be uh, talking about hamlet which i'm sure will be very fun because devin's a theater major and i don't like shakespeare and our our guest will be adam o'connell who is one of my fellow drama students here it's another person i don't know yeah so that'll be a fun time (laughs) one day we'll have a a host that caroline knows yeah please but not today i'm working on it (laughs) <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much for listening once again. And, thank you. Uh, go go read a book a fun, or something. Have a fun holiday season. Yeah. Love, we've lost the plot. <laughs>